Welcome to our podcast on how to understand the King James Bible using the Psalms. My name is Keith Simons and this talk comes to you as always from my home in England. If you're listening to it when it's first broadcast, this talk comes out in the week before Christmas. And what is Christmas like here in England? Well, nearly every house on our street will have a Christmas tree and bright and sparkly lights. And you can be sure on Christmas Day, they'll be sitting down to too much to eat and too much to drink. But how few of them will remember Christ whose birth they claim to celebrate on Christmas Day? How few of them will pray a prayer, will read the Bible or, or turn to the Psalms? Well, I hope you will. And when you do, perhaps you'll turn to our Psalm for today, which is Psalm 96. So Psalm 96 does not have an ancient title. So going through it as we usually do, verse by verse and word by word, let's begin with the first verse and the first half of verse two. O sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord, bless his name. Now, it's very easy when you get a passage like this to say, well, it's all repetition. It's said three times that we should sing unto the Lord. Yes, but that's why we've got to read more slowly and give more attention to the details, because it is saying different things each time. The first time it tells us what to sing. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Maybe this is a song that we've composed to give praise to God. Maybe this is a song that God has given us. Like the song in Psalm 40, verse 3. And he, God, hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Oh, how wonderful when our new songs come from God himself. Why a new song? Because God has shown a new and wonderful act of his great kindness to us. That's why we're celebrating. That's why we're rejoicing. So this first phrase, O oh, sing unto the Lord a new song, is about what we should be singing. And the second phrase is about who should be singing this song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. So this is not just a song for Israel's people to sing. This is a song which people from every nation, every family on earth can and should join in. They should all be participants in this great rejoicing before God. So we had first what they should sing and we had secondly who should sing it. And then in the third clause, the beginning of verse two, we have what the song contains. Sing unto the Lord, bless his name, give praise and honour to God. To bless 
the name of God. When we see the reference to the name of God in the Bible, we're thinking particularly about the character of God. We should be praising God for his wonderful and perfect character, that he is good and faithful and kind and holy. And for all these reasons, we should bless or we should give honour to the name of God in this wonderful new song that God has given to us. Okay, three clauses to start this off with. And then another three clauses continue with a declaration. The end of verse two and then continuing into verse three. Shew forth his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among all people. Shew forth, we would say today, show forth. It means about the same as the declare at the beginning of verse three. What is it that we're showing forth? What is it we're declaring? We're declaring God's salvation from day to day. Now the name Jesus is the same in Hebrew as the word salvation in verse two. Show forth his Jesus from day to day is how it would sound to someone reading this at the time of the New Testament, when the New Testament was written. From day to day, every day, we should be declaring this. We're declaring it. The first three clauses, verse one and the beginning of verse two, were all about what we should sing unto the Lord. But now our subject has changed to what we should be declaring about God to the people. So firstly, show forth his salvation from day to day. And then in verse three, declare his glory among the heathen. The heathen means the nations other than Israel. At the time of the Old Testament, only the people in one nation, only the people in Israel knew the true God and knew his greatness. His glory means his greatness. And so it was Israel's people, their duty to declare to the heathen, to the people in other nations about God, to reveal the wonder and the greatness and the honour of God to the people in other nations. And particularly, they declared it because of the wonderful things that God had done. God had done such wonderful things to rescue Israel's people from when they were slaves in Egypt, to take them into their own land, to give them that land. And so Israel's people in turn should declare his God's wonders among all people. They should go to the people in other nations and they should say, this is a wonderful thing that God has done for us. And so you too, in the other nations, should learn to serve this God as your God, because he wants to take care of you. He wants to look after you. He wants to be your God too. Now, I've said that the people in other nations did not serve the true God. So you might ask, did these people have any religion at all? Yes, they did. They worshipped things other than the true God. Maybe they worshipped the sun, moon and stars. Maybe 
They, they, they worship spirits. But the way they came before those spirits, the way they prayed to them, was that they made idols. They made images of their gods to which they could bow down and pray to. And so if we're declaring God's glory among the heathen, what is it we're saying to them? What is it that we're teaching them? First form, for the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For the Lord is great. Yes, the greatest in heaven and in earth, deserving of our honour. And he's greatly to be praised. We shouldn't just lightly think about our God. We shouldn't just ignore him. No, he deserves great praise. He deserves that we should praise him greatly because he is to be feared above all gods. To fear in the Bible means to respect. The true God deserves our respect. And he deserves his proper place above all gods, above everyone whom people consider to be great, whether whether they're talking about spirits, whether they're talking about images, whether they're talking about great people on earth like rulers and judges. No, the true God is to be feared above any of them. All those that we might consider great are weak in comparison to the true God. In fact, they are so weak. All the nations are praying to their false gods. But verse 5, all the gods of the nations are idols. The Hebrew word for idols here, it, the word means in English an image, an image before which you pray. But the Hebrew word goes further. These things are nothings. They're weak beyond all comparison. Yes, the nations might praise them and give honour to them as if they were God. But no, the gods of the nations are idols. They're nothing. They're weak. Even the spirits to which these nations pray to have no power in comparison to the true God. Because there is only one God who made heaven and earth by his power. End of verse 5. But the Lord made the heavens. He made the greatest things that we can see. He made the sun, the moon, the stars. He made the things beyond that, that we cannot see. Heaven above, the dwelling place of God, the angels that live in heaven, all the wonders that we can read about in the book of Revelation and through the Bible. God made these things. The true God made these things. You'll see how the true God is distinguished from these false gods, so-called, in verses 4 and 5. The true God appears in our King James Bible with the capital letters right the way through the word L-O-R-D, Lord. And those block capitals are to remind us that this is a Hebrew name, which is for the true God and rightly for the true God alone. But those false gods of the nations are called simply gods. And the King James Bible helps us by, by not even giving a capital letter to the word G, the letter G at the beginning. These are gods. These are, these are people who 
these are uh, spirits or images that people consider to be powerful. That's the root meaning of the word God. But really, they're weak because the true God, the only God, is the Lord who made heaven and earth. And it is his glory, his greatness, that verse 3, we must declare. But what does that glory mean? Verse 6 explains a little more. Honour and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. The sanctuary means God's holy place. Maybe it's referring to the holy place in, in God's temple in Jerusalem on the earth. Or maybe it's referring to the true sanctuary of which the temple in Jerusalem was just a copy. That true sanctuary, God's holy place in heaven where he rules in all power and authority. All these words, honour, majesty, strength and beauty, they could be used as definitions of glory. God's glory is his honour, his reputation, the greatness of that reputation, which means that all in heaven and earth should give honour to him. Majesty means his, his kingly authority. He is a king who rules over all things. Strength, all strength comes from him and belongs to him. He is the most powerful of all. He is all-powerful. Beauty, that's another word that describes to us glory. Yes, God's glory is a thing of great beauty. It's not power that overwhelms us in an awful way only. God's glory is something very, very beautiful because God is a good God and everything that he does is wonderful. And so in verse 7, the author of our psalm turns to these people and he urges them, the people in other nations, to praise God with him. Once more, he'll repeat his instruction three times in verse 7 and the beginning of verse 8. So let me read that. Give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Okay, let's take the separate sections and see what he's saying in each. Give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people. Kindreds means family groups or tribes. So we're calling on the families of earth to join together to give to God. What should they give to God? The end of verse 7. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give him honour. Respect that all honour belongs to him and all power belongs to him. People often try to take away from God the glory or honour and the strength or power that belongs to him. Uh, they, they try to take it for themselves. They proclaim themselves to be great people. They proclaim themselves to be powerful people. They they, they announce their greatness and they act as if God has no power or no honour. That's why the families on earth are called on here 
to give unto the Lord glory and strength. And then more specifically, verse 8 explains, give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Give to the Lord, give him back the honour that he deserves because of the greatness of his name, because of the greatness of his holy and perfect character. Oh, he deserves your honour. He deserves your praise. He deserves your worship. Now, in the temple courts in Jerusalem, people would come into the courts, that's the yards that surrounded the temple, and they would bring an animal to offer it to God. And that's what's going on in the word pictures at the end of verse 8 and the beginning of verse 9. Bring an offering and come into his courts, or worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Worship God, give him honour. Bring an offering, bring your gift. Come into his courts. Don't, don't take your gift and offer it in wherever you live. No, come into the place that God has chosen. Offer to God what God has directed in the place where he has directed you to offer it. That place in Old Testament times, as I've said, was in front of the temple in Jerusalem. And yet this is a word picture for us in New Testament times, because what is the offering that we bring to God? We bring to God Jesus. Jesus our sacrifice, who died in our place to give us a right relationship with God. And it is because of that offering, because God offered Jesus for our sins, that we can come into the presence of God. We can, as it were, come into his courts. In fact, we can, verse 9, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. That could mean in the beauty of his sanctuary, in the beauty of his holy place. In Old Testament times, there were only a very few priests who went to worship God in the beauty of God's holy place inside the temple in Jerusalem. But now, God wants all his people to draw close to him in worship and honour to him. Yes, God dwells in the most wonderful beauty of holiness, that holiness that separates him from us, that holiness which is purity and perfection, but that holiness into which God invites his people, forgiven through the death of Jesus, given a right relationship with, with himself, and so they come before him to worship him. End of verse 9. Fear before him all the earth. Yes, in your worship, come before God and show God the fear or the respect that is due to him. Verse 10. Say among the heathen that the Lord reigneth. The world also shall be established as it shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously. Oh, here we're looking we're looking beyond uh, our own time. We're looking to the time when 
the rule of God's perfect king, the Messiah, is complete. When Christ returns and reigns on earth and we can declare among all people that his rule is complete, then he will establish the world that it shall not be moved. Then he will place the world, as it were, on a firm footing. He will, at the moment, the world shakes. It shakes because of people's sin. It shakes because it's turned away from God. It's like as if, it says somewhere in the Bible, all the foundations of the world are out of course. No, God is setting the world right. Of course, God already rules in heaven. Christ already has that position of authority at his Father's right hand side. But this world is acting in rebellion against God, and that must be put to an end with the second coming of Christ, when he shall judge the people righteously. He will bring about God's perfect rule on earth. He will carry out the punishment and the end of the power of all that is wicked. And then, and then when the reign of the Messiah is complete and perfect in heaven and in earth, then everything can rejoice before God. Verse 11, let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. The earth be glad? Well, hasn't the earth suffered so much as a result of people's evil deeds? And yet, God's perfect king, the Messiah, is setting the earth right so that the earth can be glad, so that the sea can roar. Let the sea roar, he says, and the fullness thereof. Oh, just as the people sing a new song to celebrate God's goodness, verse 1. So the heavens can rejoice too, the earth can be glad, verse 11 and even the sea and the fullness of it, everything in it, the sea animals can roar in their rejoicing before God at the rule of King Messiah. Verse 12, let the field, the countryside, let it be joyful and all that is therein. Then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice, even the forests Rejoice at the rule of God, that God's Messiah has come to set the earth right. Now, you'll see something unusual at the end of verse 12. Um, after the word rejoice, there is no full stop. There's no comma. There's no punctuation of any kind. That is the way the King James Bible tells us, don't stop at the end of verse 12. Keep on reading. Don't even pause. Don't even pause for breath at the end of verse 12 because we're continuing into verse 13. So I will do my best when we come to read the psalm in a few moments time to read this line like this. Then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice before the Lord. Without pause between verse 12 and verse 13. Because this rejoicing is that God has finally come to be among his people. God is present with his people. Verse 13. For he cometh, for he cometh to judge the earth. 
Now, you'll know from my previous talks that where there is repetition in the Hebrew Bible, the main purpose of that is to emphasize something. The psalm is saying how wonderful God is coming. God is coming to judge the earth. And yet people have read that and they've said, for he cometh, for he cometh. Why does it say that twice? Is it because of Christ's first coming as a baby in Bethlehem and because of his second coming to judge the earth and to rule all nations? Well, Maybe there is a hint of that here. Maybe this psalm does have something special to do with Christmas time. For when Christ came the first time, he came then, even then, to carry out judgment on this earth. Not, not the final judgment where wicked people are separated from good people so that God will rule the world with righteousness. No, at that first coming, he came for judgment, but to take the judgment upon himself. Christ suffered to take our sins when he died upon the cross. Christ came in judgment and he took that judgment so that we could receive his righteousness. When we turn to him, when we confess our sins, when we put our trust in him, he forgives us. He gives us a right relationship with God. And yet the verses above all about Christ's second coming. His second coming, he cometh to judge the earth. When he will act against every wicked force, every wicked power, he will put an end to the devil's power in this world. He will free his people. And uh, that end of the psalm, it could be referring to the judgment and the punishment of evil people. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. Yes, Christ, the judge, God's Messiah, the judge, rules in righteousness. He is applying a right, a good a perfect standard to test the people. For if they have not turned from their sins, if they've not received him into their life, then they must face that judgment, that judgment of righteousness and of truth. But there could be another meaning for verse 13, the end of the verse, because although everything I've said is, is right and in line with the rest of the Bible, maybe that the end of verse 13 means this. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. Well, that word for truth in the Hebrew Bible really means faithfulness. He shall judge the world in righteousness and the people in faithfulness. To judge in the Hebrew Bible also means to rule. And God's Messiah is not just coming to judge evil people, although he's going to do that. God's Messiah is coming to bring righteousness and to deal with his people in faithfulness, to, to bring about a right and a good world, to bring a perfect rule upon earth so that earth will function as God intended it. And the people will know God's faithfulness, God carrying out 
all his promises, God's promises, complete and perfect in Christ. All God's promises fulfilled at the second coming of Christ, the Messiah King. In a moment, I'll read to you the whole psalm. But firstly, my email address is 333kjv at gmail.com. That's 333kjv at gmail.com. Please do write to me and uh, I hope you have a very happy time over the holidays and I hope you use this time to think especially about the Psalms and about the Bible and about God's King Messiah. Now here's a whole of Psalm 96. O sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord. Bless his name. Shew forth his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among all people. For the Lord is great, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations of idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honour and majesty are before him, strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people, give unto the Lord glory and strength, give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. O oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. Say among the heathen that the Lord reigneth. The world also shall be established that it shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously. Let the heavens rejoice, and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar and the fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful and all that is therein. Then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice before the Lord. For he cometh, for he cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. <laughs>